tonight on Arena. The bell ringer recalls the cinema fire in Drumcolour and Irish talent shines in Disney's new sitcom Extraordinary. You can text us on 51551 or tweet at RT Arena. Can you imagine a post-Marvel world where everyone has a superpower? Everyone, that is, but you. This is the fate of Jen, a 20-something, surrounded by people who discovered their individual superpower, or their thing, on their 18th birthday in the Disney show Extraordinary. With the help of a friend who can channel the dead and her friend's boyfriend who can turn back time, Jen sets out to find this superpower. Irish actor Mairead Tyres, who you may recall from the film Belfast, leads the cast of Extraordinary. It also stars Siobhan McSweeney from Derry Girls and the great pottery Throwdown as Jen's mother and the series is created by debut writer Emma Moran uh, from Fermanagh. I'm joined by another Jen, Jen Gannon, with a superpower for knowing what exactly to watch on TV. <laughs> uh, Jen, extraordinary. It's it's far now from the kind of superhero Marvel universe, but the uh, characters do have sar- um, superpowers or lack a superpower. Yeah, it's not polished. That's the great thing about it because I think we're so used to the slickness of the Marvel and DC universe that, you know, these superheroes are almost like gods and they have all this power and strength and they they seem very together and this is the complete opposite of that and I like nowadays where we're kind of digging into because superheroes are so prevalent they're everywhere they have a kind of stranglehold on the multiplex and and on TV as well that we're trying to dig into the psychosis of superheroes a little bit now you have the boys on Amazon which is about you know how these superheroes maybe attain power and what that means and it's not all good and they're not all good and then with something like this, this is very, very different. So Extraordinary is small time. It's not exactly, you're not saving the universe out here. Basically, it's a lot more mundane. It's a lot more normal. So, you know, the extra and the ordinary kind of come together as in you get, you're blessed with these superpowers when you're 18 years old, but they could be anything. As in Siobhan McSweeney, who plays Jen's mother, she's blessed with this gift for technology, for like manipulating technology. But being a mom, and I know a lot of mams, but also dads might feel her pain as well. She can't even use her high-tech remote controls so she can barely use her power. So it's a lot more small moments. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Channel 4 show Spaced. It has that very irreverent, fast-paced sense of humour um, and that style to it. It's a real knockabout kind of bubblegum style. So it's more about the human aspect of the superpowers as in the kind of impede her Jen's friends they're they're not something that makes them better people and they're not something that really kind of change their life in a positive way sometimes yes because Jen seems to be suffering her very own extended FOMO yes. fear of missing out isn't <laughs> yeah. she because she doesn't have a superpower but all her friends do I mean as you say some of them are quite questionable yeah. the the best friend's boyfriend can go back in time mm. but just enough to change all the horrible mistakes he makes when yeah. interacting with these they're all kind of momentary he can only go back in time for like a, a couple of minutes or like a, an hour max so it's not life changing in that way but it gets it kind of hones in on the foibles let's say you send an unfortunate drunken voice note to somebody he can get rid of that or he can manipulate having fights with his girlfriend Carrie which he does a lot so that 
kind of and she's aware that he can use his powers against her so that kind of makes an uneasy relationship between the two of them let's let's listen to a clip now this is the best uh, human resources company ever <laughs> because the person they employed is an interviewer who can tell if if you're you're, you're making them tell the truth yes, basically so you force think, the interviewee to yes. tell the truth so Jen played by uh, Mairead Tires goes for this interview and that's who she's up against don't worry if you're the right candidate, the truth can only work in your favour. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, that's awful for me. So it's a cliché, I know, but why do you want to work here? I don't, but I need money to live. You've got a 2-1 in English literature. No, I dropped out, but I'm, I was too embarrassed to tell anyone. So I pretended to go every day for a year, but really I just wandered around the big Primark in town. What do you say your greatest weakness is? Crippling insecurity. Selfish and a lazy. I lack ambition. Stubborn, argumentative, jealous. I only wash my hands after someone else in the bathroom. Don't think I'm capable of love. I am worried I'm a little bit racist. I'm a bit afraid to ask this, but do you have any questions for me? Do you have a gross eye hole under there? I'm so sorry. I see you haven't got your power down on here. That's because I don't have one yet. We interview a lot of candidates. What makes you special? I don't know. I don't think the fact that she uh, <laughs> didn't have a superpower was the game changer there. No. She had made a bit <laughs> of a mess of that interview anyway. So it's, it's a very funny... It is. And like, that's the thing from the get go, like from that, that's the opening scene of like episode one. And, you know, it just bursts with this really sharp and quick acerbic humour. And in some instances, the humour kind of reminded me of, yeah, like, as I said, space, but also like something like Sharon Horgan's pulling and the really brilliant sci-fi sitcom Misfits, which starred around Robert Sheehan, um, because the superpowers almost get in the way of these people's lives. It doesn't enhance their lives. It's kind of like a burden. And it's that married with that humour, that down to earth, really ridiculous kind of one liners that that hooks you in. And I, I laughed out loud like immediately from like moment one. Yes, I, let's play that. You talked about Siobhan McSweeney mm. and she plays Jen's mom and talk about a superpower being wasted on somebody. <laughs> She's here in this party scene. She goes to her sister's 18th birthday where her mother, played by Siobhan McSweeney, struggles with the remote control. Oh, my baby. Why are there already balloons? Oh, those, they're nothing. I just slipped out this morning and got a few. But you asked me to get balloons. I know. But you don't trust me to get balloons. Oh, I don't want it to play HDMI. Just play Andy's party playlist. I got an audition for the Greenwich Conservatoire. Normal human thing to do is to say hello before you start bragging. I'm just sharing good news about my life with my sister. I'm sure if you achieve something, you do the same. No? Andy, stop haranguing your sister. Have you got a job yet? I have a job. A real job. I didn't leave my home and family and brave the boat to England for you to squander all my sacrifices. We definitely flew here. Oh, you young. You don't understand the immigrant struggle. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Where's the antenna? What do you think my power's going to be? Now, you do know you're not going to get your power the second you turn 18. What do you know about powers? You're like a virgin talking about sex. You're like the Pope. I, I am not the Pope. So uh, th- there's the angsty, there's the sister Angie who has everything, yes. and and when she gets her superpower, it's a fantastic superpower. Yes. There's the mother then who uh, 
struggles with hers. Struggles with hers and seems to, doesn't seem to try and equal out her love for either sister. So there's lots of problems at home. But we have to talk about, this is Disney and we have all these Irish accents. Mm. Uh, We have an Irish writer, Emma Moran. We've Mairead Tyres and Siobhan McSweeney as Uh, central characters in it. It's amazing to see. I mean, I think like with the writer Emma Moran, it feels like she's kind of come from nowhere. She's very young. She's 28 years old and she was involved in the BBC Writers Room and she's, uh, you know, wrote sketch comedies and did some stand-ups. So she's from Ennis, just outside Enniskillen. Um, and I think it's just formidable, this talent that she has because it has that Phoebe Waller-Bridge fleabag kind of style to Jen's character because she has that paranoia of people in their, you know, late mid to late 20s where her peers seem to be exploring their potential and she feels like she's being left behind she feels like there's a lot of arrested development because she doesn't have her superpower and it kind of neatly skews. And it can get quite vulgar and filthy oh, at does. times like, as well. I think yeah. there's, there's parts of it that for me it kind of neatly skews that metaphor for the quarter life crisis that we've seen Lena Dunham tackle in something like Girls but it's done in a very different genre bending way which I think is to you know Emma Moran's credit I think it's an incredible like first look and I do think the reason why it works so well is because um, Mairead Tyres is so likeable So as tell Jen. us what can you tell us about Mairead Tyres I mean she, as we know you we were saying that she played Katrina Balfe's sister in Belfast so she's the young auntie um, and I think like she's done small pieces here and there but this is her first major role which is Unbelievable when you think about it because she is in obviously every moment of and the such series. such a comic touch, and hasn't so, she? Yeah, as we were talking about, she is like a little kind of like Ashlyn B in a way. There, There is something that's reminiscent of her there and she has this cheekiness to her but she also is very warm and engaging and so likeable and charismatic that even when Jen is being completely selfish and she's doing stuff that, you know, would normally make you aggrieved, there is something still that you want her to succeed and you're egging her on and wishing that she would find her superpower and, and feel better about herself. But, you know, it's it's when you, as the series progresses, you do realise that that's not it's all, everything it's cracked up to be, that everyone is struggling to find themselves. And that's what it really is. Really, it's a flat share comedy about kids in their, you know, mid to late 20s trying to, you know, grope around and, and try on life for size. And that's and just the added, extra added sprinkling of the superpower on top of it. And does that superpower thing work? You know, <laughs> do, are the superpowers people have? It's very funny. The mothers, yeah. uh, you know, you use have this with technology and then she gets his, a technology superpower. But does that continue or it does that, you know, you can imagine like a drinking game of people saying what would be your superpower, but you could get kind of bored with it. I mean, I think it's done enough to, it it evens the show out. It's done enough in light, nice touches. Like there's, do you really want a taxi driver who has the ability to tell you how and when you're going to die? Probably not. Like that's the first thing you will say to everyone when you sit in the taxi. So there's those kind of nice little touches to it. But then something with her friend Carrie, as I said, she channels people, so she channels the dead. There is um, a lovely quality to it where it's more emotional, where you see her channeling uh, Jen's father who's passed away so she can still communicate with him and something like that. This is Arlo Hanlon's voice. Yes, yes. exactly. And it, it gives it a little, a deeper qu- level of, you know, the writing. And I like those little touches to it as well as the kind of knockabout comedy. That's right. And the knockabout comedy then is she can channel a Hitler. Exactly. And they all That's can her party Hitler. trick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is very fun. Just tell us about the cat. 
Yes. I love so the cat. There is. So Jen adopts a cat, a stray cat on the street. And basically it's a shape shifter. It's someone who is actually stuck. It's not a cat. It's a, a human man. And this cat boy is played by Luke Rollison. And it's, he's just so lovable and hapless that he has to... And he does look... He's, look he's like evolved from some <laughs> yeah. kind of wild, wild animal. animal. <laughs> and he's been stuck in this cat form for over three years, they discover. So he is living with the rest of the group, trying to learn how to be human again and adapt to being human again. And there's something about it because it doesn't... The most lovely thing about it is it it's not high tech looking. It's not futuristic. It's set in an alternative reality to, you know, today's world, but also a little bit analogue. Everything's a little bit shabby, a little bit grotty. Jen manages to scrape a living by working in a fancy dress shop. So there is that quality to it that I think is even more endearing because it's a world that we recognise and feel comfortable. It's a very recognisable sitcom kind of world. So, you know, you're not looking at something that's too out of this world or too modern. It's very pleasing to look at. We'll play a final clip. This is Jen Flatsmates, uh, Cash, played by Bilia Hasna. And Carrie is his girlfriend, uh, Sophie Oxham, Oxenham. And they try to discover Jen's whole dilemma is, how am I ever going to find my superpower? So they go about trying to give her spicy food. How spicy does it say it needs to be? Uh, just a spicy food. I assume the spicier the better, though. Like, it must stimulate something in your body to bring the power around. Mm-hmm. What can I get for you? I'll have the spiciest thing on the menu. No. Uh, I have a large bottle of sriracha mayo at home. I think I can handle some spice. Well? Feeling anything yet? I just can't feel my legs. This can't be right. What else do they recommend? Um, uh, Long walks, castor oil, sex. The stimulation of the nipple. Cash, you're looking at how to induce labour. No, I'm not. Oh, how dilated is your cervix? Milk. Need milk. So, Jen, overall, what did you make of Extraordinary? I mean, I think it's perfect viewing for this time of year. It's really light, it's fun, it's silly, but it has, there's enough in those characters and they're they're so intriguing and there's so many good jokes that it does make you eager to see them again. You, you do want, after spending time with them, you know, I would be excited to see that it would have a, a return series for sure. Well, my thanks to Jen Cannon, who really has TV superpowers. Extraordinary is available on Disney Plus from next Wednesday, the 25th of January. You're listening to Friday Night's Arena. If we think back to the early years of the Irish state and rural Ireland, we might imagine crowds of young people gathered to dance at the crossroads rather than going to the pictures. But cinema, showing films from the still relatively nascent Hollywood, was a real thing in the Ireland of 1926. And it was tragically the cause of the terrible drum colour cinema fire in that year which killed 48 people and injured 100 more in the Limerick village. This tragedy is the subject of a new play, The Bell Ringer by Charlie McCarthy. Charlie is an accomplished TV director and, in fact, he will take the directorial reins for this production, which will be staged at the Schoolyard Theatre in Charleville, County Cork. Patrick Ryan and Susanna Rickson will play multiple parts. Well, I think Susanna will play multiple parts and uh, Patrick Ryan will play the central character. 
Charlie McCarthy, you're very welcome to Arena. Thank you. Uh, Charlie, your play The Bell Ringer is based on this actual tragedy. Uh, am I right to think we don't uh, often associate social pursuits from that time with going to the cinema? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. As you say, we have a kind of de Valera's image of an Ireland which is um, less modern, I guess. And cinema was very vibrant. Actually, the making of films even was much more vibrant. in the ni- I think Killarney was a big hub in the 1910s for making films. American comedy came over there. Um, so the, the actual showing of films was, was well up and up and going by, the, by 1926. I mean, I've fictionalised it, obviously, to make the arrival of the film in my fictional village something much more extraordinary, like a first. But actually, in Drumcolour, they had there had been films shown in that makeshift loft cinema over the years. In fact, yeah. So all right, because that makeshift loft had been a place where the fish up theatres went. That's correct. It had a tradition of that, and I think also uh, people uh, people uh, people used to come and show films there. Actually, but this man who in the village decided to he would himself uh, get a film into the into the village this of his own This is the real story now because this in, is the real story. because in in your play we have uh, Danjo and he decides to bring uh, this the cinema man to the town but that's what happened in Drumcolour that was a local projection yeah and i mean obviously i've strayed very far away from the actual facts because one has to respect that um but I have used some elements. So I've created an outsider in the village, which that man in Drumcolour also was. So and what happened on the night in Drumcolour? How much can you tell us? Well, basically, over 150 people after benediction on a Sunday night came into this loft over a makeshift store or a store. And they climbed up this ladder into this wooden space, which had a panel down the, or a wall down the side of it. Very narrow, uh, two windows at one end and that exit by the ladder at the other end and a sheet, I presume, to show the film and a projector which a man from um, Cork had brought, a man who worked in the cinema there. So within a very short time, um, a candle fell. The film, it fell on the unprotected reels of film. Within seconds, it was the floor and the roof were on fire and within 20 minutes the whole thing was a complete conflagration and many people were able to get out the latter end and others tried to get out the other end which there were two windows there and um, many failed to get out. Um, and, and there so were within families t- at this film, like there were many families. children, weren't there? There were many children. Half the half of the 48 people who died were children under 15 um, there were mothers, fathers and their children who died. There were people who, we- who weren't at the film, who went in to save people who were in the film and they never came out. There were 100 and, well, obviously 48 horrible, tragic, terrible stories of families. families. And so there was that mix of new technology, obviously the projector, but people were still using the candles so that they could probably change the reels. That's right, yeah, yeah. and just, uh, I guess, count the money and the, 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 the ninepence, I think it was, to go in, um, in the actual thing. Um, so it was very rooted. It was 19th century meets 
20th century in that sense with the technology and the And candle. do we know what the film that was shown was? The, the kind of urban myth is that it was the Ten Commandments, but somebody's researched that and found that there were actually four copies of the Ten Commandments in Ireland at the time and neither of them were in Cork or in drum colour. So it may have been a film called The Decoy, which was a Western, as far as I know, but there is no actual proof. But that seems the thing. But somehow the majesty of the Ten Commandments and the apocalyptic power of it makes it poetically of right, course. you know. And how did you, were you, I mean, you're from Charleville. Were you brought up with this story or how much did you know of the story? I always knew about it. Um, I was aware that there was a woman in the town, uh, Mrs Feeney, who was, as I understand it, a child at the time who survived it. Uh, I was aware of that and I was aware from my mother about this Violet Irwin who was 15, who who was burnt in the fire and was only recognised by the buckles on her shoes. And she was one of the only two people who were buried, not in the communal grave, because she was recognised. So she was buried in Fina, County Limerick. And another child also was buried because he died later. But uh, 46 of the people were buried because they weren't identifiable. They were absolutely burnt, sadly, to unidentifiable my goodness and uh, and and you you Charlie McCarthy have a personal connection yeah. with it as well that, as the stories your mother told and the people you knew yeah in I mean that's my mother's side of them the county Limerick side of the family my county Cork side of the family which is my father's side had a much more direct involvement because my father's aunt Ellie died in the fire and I did not know that. I can't remember when, what date, but it's only within the last 15 years, I think, that I've become aware of that. Now, others in the extended family, older cousins knew about it from their mothers, my aunts. Um, but uh, I was not aware of it. Um, and that woman, sadly, was a large woman who got stuck in one of the windows during the crisis or the conflagration and was unable to get out and perhaps, sadly, was the cause of other people dying now. That's not provable. I know, and um, that is such a sad story. Mm. It's a story that you retell in the play of this woman who's a lovely woman in the town and then just on the night she goes, tries to get out the window and they're pushing and shoving her and they can't move her and of course she's backing people back and it, it's it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. So um, why a play then and how did you go about writing it? I mean, you've reimagined it. It is very much inspired by Drum Colour Her but we're not in Drum No, most deliberately not, because I wanted uh, the framework of the play kind of honours the fact that this is an amazing catastrophe that is not a story in a conventional sense. It's shapeless, horrible truth. And I wanted to tell a story because a play has to be a story. So I had to distinguish between drum colour and Balnafina, which is the invented village, um, to protect everybody, if you like, to protect me, to protect the memories of those people and to tell a love story, actually, at the centre of it. This outsider, Danjo, falls in love with this exotic American who arrives in the town and that prompts his getting the film and that prompts the whole series of events that obviously end in that terrible Yes, event. and there is a kind of a love story about the films as well because Mabel, the, the woman that he falls in love with, is in Hollywood. Yeah, she's in. Well, she's in love with Rudolph Valentino. Oh, yes, and, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. yes, that's yeah. her turn on. She brings all that kind of American jazz age energy and sophistication to the village, and this very you know lonesome sort of character 
falls for her, obviously. Now, as we say, Patrick Ryan plays Dan Joe, the title character, and Susanna Rickson then in, in this scene, she plays Nancy. So they're now discussing the newfangled moving pictures. Nancy, I seen a wondrous thing this morning. Oh, Will, whatever you saw, it's nothing about Rosie Sexton saw last Sunday over beyond the Jarlival. What did she see? A picture house. A picture house? It's all the go now. Telling a story in the dark with moving pictures on a wall. Declare to God, what'll it think next? Oh, Rosie says it's the coming thing. A ghost story was in it. Rosie ran out of it screaming. Screaming, is it? A shilling and sixpence to go in. And after she ran out of it, oh, they wouldn't give her back the shilling or the sixpence or any part of it. A corkman that does it. Oh, the corkman. Mm. Oh, that's lovely to hear a limerick woman to hear that. Patrick Ryan as Dan Joe and Susanna Derrickson as Nancy there from Charlie McCarthy's play, The Bell Ringer. So, Charlie, as I said, you're a TV director and and producer and 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 a drama director. Why did you create a play? Um, I had a. This has been in my head forever, as I said, and and for a long time I've been thinking: Is this a film? Is this a documentary? Film would take a hundred years to get made, and I'd never get it made. <laughs> a period film like that, a documentary. There isn't enough. There isn't enough material. There isn't enough archive. There's enough. So we would be moving into drama, documentary terrain. I love theatre that is just spare and done with just actors and script with the minimum of effects. You know, like Frank Pickett says, "Hello, Catalpa, don't look at his Catalpa." Stones in his pockets. Those plays that rely on the skill of acting. So that collaboration between the script, the actors and their talents and the and the imagination of the audience, which is really fired up, I think, in, in that kind of scenario. Yes. And the Danger character is very interesting that he interacts with all these characters played by Susanna the Rickson. We have Nancy, we have the policeman, we have various people in the community, animals even. But Danjo is also there as a kind of, he describes, he's, 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 telling, he's telling his own story, he's coming, commentating yeah. on the village and his own life yeah. as he goes around. I mean, he's sort of perceived as a sort of idiot almost, or an outsider simpleton. In, sa- in fact, he becomes the chorus of the play and he also becomes the person who has the most insightful things to say about the place, that he doesn't really articulate, but when we hear him ringing the bell, somehow he becomes a kind of uh, visionary of the place and finds the poetry and the humour, I think. I think there's humour in this. Uh, You know, so he is the... And great limerick sayings as well. Yes, indeed. So let's hear another clip here. Here, Susanna Derrickson is um, a priest, Father Prout, and he recalls seeing religious films uh, and he's talking to Danjo, talking down to Danjo, perhaps. Yes, I have seen moving pictures. Once in Rome and uh, Oxford, of course. And most recently in Dublin. Oh, mirabile dictu. You have me with the Latin, Father. Oh, it was miraculous. There's no other word for it. A story of Christ our Lord from the manger to the cross. Oh, Daniel Joseph. To see Christ our Lord in the flesh. Christ himself was in the picture. His likeness, for sure. 
What would you say, Father, if I could bring a picture the like of that to Balnafina? There's a city man who can bring a picture and a picture machine with him. Willie the Forge says I can have the loft for to show the picture. It will be on a Sunday after benediction, Father. There, Patrick Ryan again as Dan Joe and Susanna Derrickson as Father Prout in The Bell Ringer by Charlie McCarthy. This is going on in the schoolhouse or the schoolyard theatre in Charleville. So that's very near drum colour her. Uh, are you nervous about this? I know it's almost 100 years ago, but as you said, there are relatives, there are people who it's, it's, a, it's a, such a tragedy like that must stay in the collective memory. Yeah, I mean, it's very alive uh, in that area, in uh, Limerick and Cork. It's a cross-border project, I guess, in that sense, that because there was a charitable involvement as well at the time, like the post office there was used by the journalists, international journalists who were covering the thing. I'm nervous, of course, I'm nervous in the best sense, um, but also kind of looking forward to sharing, I think, a story when it comes out of, a, of a, an actual community. There's something right about it being staged there. And luckily, Kevin O'Shea, the producer, had the bravery and the ability to build a financial edifice that we could stage it as properly as it, wants to be or needs to be. Well, I think we should uh, finish with a clip that that echoes the tragedy. So here, Patrick Ryan as Dan Joe, the title character, and Susanna Derrickson as Willie Ford, the owner of the loft, in the terrible aftermath of the fire. I walks and I passes two small bodies lying side by side. One of them is a silver buckle still shining on her blackened foot. The other is still holding a tie gun. Further on, I see a burned body that has a gold tooth in its cold, dark mouth. The dreadful night wears on. Then the sky opens and the rain comes. Willie. Then, Joe. What kind of joking God decided this was the time to send rain? Huh. Is it drunken angels pissing on the dead? Or grieving angels? crying for the people who melted in my loft. Give us a hand, then, Joe. Susanna Derrickson there and Patrick Ryan in The Bell Ringer by Charlie McCarthy. And The Bell Ringer runs at the Schoolyard Theatre Charleville, County Cork from the 31st of January to the 26th of February. Tickets are available from eventbrite.ie. Friday night means album review time. This week we have three European albums. Just three years after their acclaimed album, when I have fears, Irish post-punk band The Murder Capital bring us Gigi's recovery. Italian Eurovision winners Manishkin offer us mainly English language gasoline fueled album called Rush and Blur drummer Dave Roundtree brings us his first solo album with the appropriate title for Arena Radio Songs. Andrea Cleary and Eamon Sweeney have been listening. So let's begin with the Murder Capital, who were on Arena back in 2019 for a session on their album When I Have Fears. Now they have a new album called Gigi's Recovery, which was praised by the enemy as the first great guitar album of 2023. This is Only Good Things. On the signs of streets with strange names that I've seen before The sun and horizon collide 
unnatural. That's um, only good things from the murder capital. Um, Eamon, I just thought that the first great guitar album of 2023, that's a bit of praising them, faint praise from the enemy, yeah. really. It's only, what, the 20th of January? Exactly. So there's probably about, what, three release days. And the first two were non-existent, like nothing happens in early January in terms of releases. But to be fair, if we're going to talk about a guitar album, what I do really like about this is the guitar effects and the guitar playing and the musicality of it is really good. And the way they mesh guitars with, with synths. It's a step up, I think, from when I have fears. And they took their time on it. But I think they've progressed an awful lot here with this second Okay, record. because as I said, we had the men when they did that last album, When I Have Fears. And, you know, they've always in the, like they're going since 2018, I think, and they've yeah. often been compared, haven't they, to Fontaine's DC? Because they, they all know each other, these yeah, bands, don't they? They came from the BIM Music College um, just off Thomas Street. And I suppose maybe it doesn't do a great service to both bands should be constantly mentioned in the same breath. And yes, they do kind of share a bit of a post-punk aesthetic, but I think they're both very quite different sounding bands in some ways. Certainly there is it's kind of some um, common ground. I suppose what's I suppose, astonishing from BIM's point of view, or just even from the country's point of view, to get two bands to get this much attention and success around the same time is quite astonishing. Indeed, you know, even yeah. to have one band yes, at, yes. at that level. And I know, okay, Fontaine's have had Grammy nominations. They're kind of a bit more advanced. But they've the benefit of having one extra album on um, down the road, whereas the Murder Capital did take their time a, a, a bit more. And I think the step up in terms of the quality of the the production, the songwriting and, and, and the uh, musicianship really, really shows. And and when you say, uh, you know, they're post-punk, that was the label they had previously. Do you think that that has evolved in some way as well? Yeah, I do. Now, you could be cynical and say, yeah, early U2, the first two echo in the Bunnyman albums, the omnipresent influence of Joy Division. Um, But I think kind of two things make it, make it, make it, make it uh, kind of a, a standout that they are not constrained by, by these influences and just added a, a different kind of texture to the to the guitar playing. And in James McGovern, I think there is a very effective frontman. Having said that, he's a very brooding, serious frontman. Mightn't be everybody's kind of cup of tea, but he's certainly an effective one. Yes, the brooding frontman, Andrea, and then, you know, the, the influences like the Joy Division. There is a melancholia about this album, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I I would describe it as almost dour. It is a very, very downbeat, almost... It, I, I struggled to kind of get through it. There's a song on it near, near the beginning um, that is just so... Um, Bright and uh, Return My Head is the name of the song. It's so bright and melodic. And when I listened to that, I thought, oh, thank God, they're they're moving in a more melodic direction here. We're getting songs out of this band now. And then it just, it it, it does kind of, you know, seep back in into that very kind of downtrodden, very self-serious. Yes, um, they're asking questions about existence mm. and, you know, how long are we going to live and Mm. these kind of big questions, which I suppose is a place a lot of people are at at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that I, I, I don't necessarily think that you have to be very, very or a- as serious as they're being when you're thinking about those questions. I mean, there are moments elsewhere in the album that I do like. There's there's um, I mean, I, I agree with all, all of Eamon's kind of comparisons in terms of the influences. I think there's more than a little bit of Radiohead in here as well. Um, but it just to me, it was a bit of a struggle to make it from beginning to end and not come out with the idea that there really isn't any hope. All right. Well, let's try and get a bit of hope. You said Return My Head was one of your favourite tracks. Let's listen to that. I had to realize to begin to survive I Satellites, no spare change in promise. Turn my head. That's Return My Head from Shishi's Recovery by the Murder Capital. Shishi's Recovery, Eamon, what, what, what's it referring to? Is, is it about the angst and maybe coming yeah. out of angst or who's well, they- Shishi? I, I'm not sure who Gigi is, but um, from what they have said is when I have fears is very much about bereavement and a very close friend of James McGovern who committed suicide and was looking back to the past and is there things I could have done differently? Whereas they've said that this uh, and maybe because what's consistent to this recovery of wherever Gigi is, is more about looking to the future. Uh but as Andrea has identified, yeah, it is as existential, to say the least. It starts with a track called Exist. It ends with a track called Existence. Um, there's kind of like a kind of a coda melody that runs throughout, almost a kind of like a signature riff uh, to the whole uh, uh, album. Um, again, actually, that track we just heard, which is definitely one, probably by far the best track. Yeah. And there's just something propulsive about it. The drumming is also great. Jim and Brennan, I think, deserves praise there as well. Because we've all been bang on about the guitars and the vocalists. Sorry to press you now, but in <clears> Star's <throat> terms, what would you give um, Gigi's recovery? I'm impressed. I think it's an improvement on When I Have Fears, so I'll go four stars. Four stars. And from you, Andrea? Yeah, I think uh, hopefully it's the album that puts a stop to them being a footnote to other uh band's successes um, and I liked it more than it seems I did uh, I'm going to go three stars three stars three and four stars for Gigi's recovery from the murder capital since it's heyday of ABBA and Celine Dion it's rare that artists who win the Eurovision Song Contest break through in a major way into the rock or pop world but the second album up for review this evening is Rush by the band Menishkin who have enjoyed phenomenal success since taking the Eurovision crown in 2021 one. What is um, Meneshkin? What, what is the, how have they endured beyond getting the douze point? It's it's sort of amazing. I, I read a Guardian piece about them today that uh, talked about how they're extending their 15 minutes of fame, which I think is, is really, really apt. You know, they won or they came second, sorry, in the Italian X Factor. They won the Eurovision. They used to have a completely different sound. But here on on this album, which is 17 tracks long, 17, <laughs> one seven. She's in a mood tonight. <laughs> <laughs> one seven. And, and it's, you know, it, it, it is a collection of 17 songs rather than it being an album. I don't, I don't feel like there's any kind of, you know, through line there. But um, this is, it, it's a very propulsive, very um, almost anxious album for from a, a pop act who have 
you know, just surprised everybody. They have a huge queer following, um, which is, I think, a, a lot of their successes is, is is how they how they work on social media as well. They're very funny. They're very relatable. I'm I'm really rooting for them. Yeah. They look like a glam rock band, but the sound isn't quite glam the sound, rock. Well, they've, they've gone for a much more distinct kind of rock route on this. And it sounds somewhere bizarrely kind of like, a, a, I hear for kind of almost the Franz Ferdinand staccato riff all over the place, mixed with a bit of a pop swagger of uh, Scissors Sisters, and not quite being as good as either of those acts. Um I think the single with Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine was an absolute travesty, so I thought I'd absolutely hate this. And also the fact that nothing against Italy. It's a beautiful country. Love the culture. Love the food. Well, I fear a butt coming off. If you spend any time in Italy and if you've put on MTV Italia or listen to Italian radio, the music is not great <laughs> okay well I don't like to upset you but I think I will we'll play gossip this features Tom Morello <laughs> So that's featuring Tom Morello there and uh, singing gossip with um, Manishkin what but it's growing on you, you said, there's, Andrea. There's something about this group. I mean, I, I, I yeah. absolutely agree that the song is a travesty. And yet, when I'm listening to it, I just, I can't help but enjoy myself. I can't help myself rooting for them. There's the, there's something about them that I really like. It's, I, I know winning the Eurovision doesn't make you an underdog. I know coming second in the X Factor doesn't make you an underdog. But in in the rock kind of arena... No pun intended. Um, it kind of does, you know. It it does those things make people take you a little bit less seriously. And it's it seems the as critics are too aloof yeah. from people like Manishkin. Is that right? Eamon? Well, yeah, I suppose in a way. I did remember when they won the Eurovision. I thought they were great fun. Like I thought it was a great act. Yeah. It looked great. Um, that particular track, Rush doesn't do it for me. Blah 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 it does though. Because I think yes, that's now a we can't play blah 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 because you know it's it's, it's just yeah. so bold. But let's play <laughs> another wonderful track, which is called Gasoline. You're nothing but gasoline. Starting fires in seventeen. All the tracks of the Eurovision, you know, tricks of the Eurovision, haven't they? Blah, 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 or counting, four, three, two, one, mm. but kind yeah. of give it a rock sensibility. Um, so overall, Eamon? It's a lot more fun, a lot better than I expected it to be. Uh, like, I expected it to be absolutely awful. So it's somewhere between two and a half, I think, would be a fair. Oh, fair. two and a half. OK. What about you, Andrea? It's growing on you. Has yeah. it grown more than two and a half? Look, I don't think I'll ever listen to this album again, <laughs> but I will be first in line for tickets to see their live show. So I reckon that's probably two and a half. <laughs> All right. Two, two and a half from Minishkin and their new album called Rush. Best known as the drummer from Blur, Dave Rountree has had a varied career, which also includes stints as a county councillor, criminal lawyer, flying instructor and soundtrack composer. And now he has released his debut album as a solo artist called Radio Songs. So it's uh, it's not a, it's a concept album, but not in the old kind of heavy metal idea of a, of a concept album. Yeah, there's no there's no characters or conversations happening. It's it, the the concept is based on um, t- 
time spent with his father when he was young, who was an RAF um, radio guy. He mm-hmm. he, he fixed uh, ra- yeah, ra- so radio. So he could either build a radio. Yeah. Or, yes, yeah. And they, they they would build radios together when he was young, and you know that that idea of uh, very kind of tactile uh, music listening and music making was something that was always very important to him, and it's all over this album. Um, so I think that's that's the concept that we're working with. But you get a lot to do it, you know, with relationships and life, and and it's not it's not mainly kind of you know tied to that. Now we said as well as being Blur's drum that he was uh, a county councillor. So mm-hmm. is there that sense of um, the social good or understanding social problems within this? Um, I suppose a little bit because the, it opens with a track of Devil's Island which is very interesting and it it, it kind of really is a, a describing England as a complete economic basket case that's falling apart at the seams as it did in the 70s when uh, Dave Rangie was growing up. And... Today, it's not a million miles uh, removed from that. London Bridge um, is specifically addresses, you know, uh, Dave's fear of London Bridge and that, you know, anytime he's around the place, he kind of saw bad things happening. And of course, it was the scene of quite a horrific terrorist attack uh, years ago. Um, so he does address this. It's not, I suppose, some of the subtle social commentary, shall we say. It's not a million miles away from what Damon Albarn is doing and in, in, was doing in The Good, The Bad and The Queen, but it does sound very different. And, OK, yeah. so, so let's listen to a little of London Bridge. That's London Bridge from Radio Songs from Dave Rountree. Um, Andrea, as as a member of Blur, of course, he's way back from Damon and everybody else mm. behind the drum kit. But are we aware of, were we aware of his voice? In Blur, not so much, but I think mm-hmm. you... He, Listening to this album, you can just tell he was a member of Blur. Do you know, mm-hmm. it, there's mm-hmm. moments in it where it could be Damon singing. There's moments in it where it could be Alex singing. And I, I, I don't think that overshadows his voice, but his voice is, is uh, it's not a, it's not a huge presence on the album. There's no kind of big moments. It, it he sounds like he does there in London Bridge, still a little bit detached, still a little bit, you know, t- tinkering away at the drums or at the kind of creating these atmospheric sounds. And I think that really suits him. I think it really sounds as though he's steeped himself in this kind of atmosphere. And, you know, as, as a film and television composer, you can hear a lot of those influences as well. There are moments on this that sound like they're composed for film or television. And overall, what did you think of the concept, the songs, his voice? I, I loved it. I, re- I really was su- surprised with how much I found myself sinking into this. Of the three albums that we were looking at today, this was definitely by far my favourite. And... It's it's just made me such a fan of his solo work. Um, yeah. What about you, Eamon? Yeah, totally. I would really very much agree with Andrea there. It's 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 like a bunch of ten very pleasant surprises, mm. really. Um, and drummers get such a bad rep, you know, all those the butt of being those terrible jokes of just hanging around with musicians and so on. And this goes to show in a band of such huge personalities and. You know, someone like, he clearly didn't spend the whole decade of the 90s drinking champagne with Keith Allen and Damien Hirst. Uh, and probably the closest Blur member, I'd say, to might be Graham Coxon. 
Uh, but Graham Coxon would have a lot more distorted guitars but a lot more noise than this. Okay, I have to get stars. Stars from you, Andrea? Uh, I'm going to go four stars for this. Four stars. And from you, Eamon? I would also go four stars. Four stars for radio songs from Dave Roundtree. Um, Eamon Sweeney and Andrea, thank you so much. That's it for tonight's show. The programme was researched by Liam Murphy and Amandine Passo-Devine. Tommy O'Sullivan was on sound. Demi Garrity was on the broadcast coordinator. And tonight's show was produced by Ola McGowan and Fiocna O'Brien is next.